So yeah, that was, uh, usually I'm on the, the in-between-the-holidays shift, but I'm on prime time, and I messed up already, so um, that's just what happens, I guess. Uh, I'm Henry Michael. I am the student pastor here, and so welcome um, for all the online people. Uh, welcome to you guys as well. Thanks for tuning in. Um, today, we're in our fifth week of our series on, the, on chapter one of John, called Beyond the Manger. Um, we're looking at connecting with God and thinking beyond Christmas without uh, missing Christmas. So let's pray together. Our prayer is um, off of John chapter 8. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season of Advent. As we look forward to celebrating the arrival of your son Jesus, we ask that you would remind us of the gift of life and light that he is to each one of us. By your Holy Spirit, guide us as we look to your word. Reveal your truth and open our eyes to the things we need to see. Lead us by your light. In your name I pray. Amen. So, I'm a sucker for commercials. I love commercials. I love previews before movies. Um, I, I like fun commercials, funny commercials, interesting commercials. I like to talk about them. No one else likes to talk about them with me, but I like to talk about them. I like to send them. I like bad commercials. I like commercials that are terrible. And uh, even my kids, they will say, I hate that commercial. And they don't really know. They have no idea. But they've heard me say that over and over again because I, just, I love to comment on commercials. And so there's been a series of commercials recently that has gotten my attention and my wife's attention, and it's by Walmart, and they're highlighting their new delivery service, and I thought I would share with you uh, that commercial this morning, so take a look. There are memberships for all kinds of things today, but what about memberships for bigger things, human things? What about being a member of a family with all of its truths and trials, bad days and good? What about being a member of the community with all of its unexpected smiles and knocks, hellos and waves? What about being a member of humanity with all of its questions, challenges, possibilities and hope? What if there was a membership that gave us the time to do the things that really matter? One that celebrates the things that connect all of us. Welcome to a different kind of membership. Pretty powerful, huh? That's, that is the commercial that if my dad saw it on the first time, he would instantly start, he'd do little tears and we'd laugh at him. This is a vision of a life of thriving, life of beauty. It makes you, if, I mean, if this promises at what it, I mean, if this delivers on what it promises, all of us should get Walmart Plus right now. Well, I want less chaos, I want more family, I want whatever this commercial has to offer. It's telling a story. We see that uh, throughout this commercial, there's picture of the, of the pandemic. There's people in masks. There's essential workers, people stuck at home. They're, they're trying to bring in some real elements of life with kids crying, kids fighting, and there's that music in the background. And as we watch this commercial at home, my wife blurts out, she goes, that's not what family is like. I go to the grocery store to get peace and quiet. 
this would not help our family. And I know there's some other moms that are, are in the same spot. Now, all of us have different experiences during the lockdowns and during uh, this pandemic. I'm not trying to make light on any of that stuff. I'm sure Walmart delivery is a very helpful thing for a lot of families. But what this is doing is offering us a level of control or a picture of control in a time where we feel the, in least control. We feel like if we get this, we can control something in this crazy life. It's not going to bring our families closer in and of itself. It's not going to give us perspective in the hard times of life. It's not going to bring us the goodness, beauty, and freedom this seems to offer. The problem is, is that too many of us, and all of us actually, are easily captured by visions like this. It could be Walmart delivery, control, or it could be what your family should look like, or what Christmas should look like this year, or what job you should be having. We are captured by visions of the good life that are not Jesus. And we need something deeper, lasting, and real. So from our passage today, I want to talk about the idea of light leading to life, and why it's so important, not just to know intellectually, but to build our life upon so that we don't get captured by stories of freedom that are ultimately going to lead us to emptiness. So we're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 4, 5, and 9 today. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. So according to this passage, light leads to life, which is foundational to our, our walk, our Christian walk. It's foundational to knowing God because the connection of light and life is so important to our faith. We have three things that I want us to look at today. The first thing I want us to look at is we need to understand the light if we're going to follow the light. We need to understand the light. One of the things that I love about the Bible is that it's one giant story. It's not a bunch of random stories thrown in there. It's one story that's telling us the plan of God's redemption for us. Every list, every law, every story, every bit of poetry, all of it is leading to what God ultimately does in Jesus. And John is no different. What we're reading today is no different. He takes the creation story that we see in Genesis 1, and he puts Jesus as the main character as the agent of creation. In John 1, we see that not only was Jesus with God in the beginning, but everything was created through him and by him. Jesus was there at the beginning. He created things. Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. It's an important thing to realize. But he even clarifies the creation order in Genesis 1, because after he creates the heavens and the earth, the next thing he creates is light, and he separates it light in darkness. And that's a very important thing as well because the earth was dark, it was empty, it was formless. And so he separated light and darkness, and that light was good. John 1 portrays light and darkness almost like a battle scene. And that's what we get throughout the whole story of God. It's like this battle of light and darkness. I'm going to read the passage again. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. 
The light shines in the darkness, and here's where the battle comes in, and the darkness has not overcome it. What we get here is the fact that Jesus wins in the end. The light wins in the end. So understanding the light is crucial. If we're going to follow the light, if we're going to live the Christian life, understanding the light is a very crucial part. And it goes beyond like brightness. It goes beyond like a light bulb or warm fuzzy feelings or photons. Jesus is the light and what he offers is life. And what he offers in verse 14 says grace and truth. Light is the good life with God. Light is what we were created for. Now, darkness is a little tricky. And from what we get from this passage is darkness is trying to overcome the light, but it can't, which makes it all the more sinister, makes it all the more important to understand what darkness is as well. When we hear darkness, or when I hear darkness at least, I think of maybe a dark television show that portrays uh, cartels and drugs and gangs and murder and all that stuff. Maybe when you think of darkness, you think of the last couple months of COVID and, and just not really knowing what's coming up next and the lockdowns. I hear songs from the beginning of lockdown and I cringe. That's what darkness sometimes is for us, but I think it's even more than that. And we need to recognize that. Darkness is sinister because Satan is sinister. And he's tricky. His goal is to overcome the light by becoming a false light that we follow. Creating false stories that we follow. False narratives that seem to lead to life. And we need to call that out when we see it. We need to be careful. Darkness is anything that promises light and life apart from Christ. Even seemingly good things. It's when we try to attain things and positions with the goal of seeking ultimate fulfillment. It's when we take the grace and beauty and goodness out of the story of God and we turn it into just neat theological things that we memorize, but it actually doesn't touch our life. All of us, parent, student, kid, pastor, everybody here, we will follow whatever captures our imagination. There are plenty of voices that promise the good life, fulfillment, and meaning. We as a church, we have the creator of the good life, fulfillment, and meaning. And when we strip the magic and wonder of life with God, it's no wonder we confuse darkness with light. So I want to ask you, and this is a question I asked myself this week as I was preparing, is what if we viewed the Christian life, the light of Christ, the Christian life, like Walmart thinks of their own delivery service, where we grasp onto the light, where we grasp onto Jesus, knowing it leads to the good life. It leads to ultimate fulfillment, letting light and life touch every area of our lives, not just on Sunday the way we rest, the way we work, the way we parent, the way we play, the way we study? What if the light touched every area of our lives? Now, this is a battle that has been fighting where darkness has been trying to overcome the light since Genesis 3. This is an ancient problem. Human beings have been uh, put in the position to choose what they think is good and beautiful 
versus what God thinks is good and beautiful. And so, as this has been a problem, we see 1,500 years ago, August, Augustine was preaching to his congregation, a congregation that was dealing with a lot of the same things we're dealing with, where we want something other than Christ to be ultimate fulfillment. For them, it was knowledge and, and, and attaining and being smart and, and getting to this peak of enlightenment. And so what Augustine says is, we are in need of enlightenment, but we are not the light. You're going to entrust yourself to somebody. Would you entrust yourself to the one who gave himself for you? It's a powerful quote. We're going to entrust ourselves to someone or something. Would you entrust yourself to the one who gave himself for you? There's no hope in ourselves. There's no hope in our ideas or what we can attain. There's hope in the light that came into the world. Give himself for us. His death and resurrection means that we can have life. So understanding the light is very important. That's the first step. But this Christmas season, I think we can take it the next step as well. We need to recapture the light, not just for Christmas, but for the rest of the year. And so if you read through all uh, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Matthew and Luke have very clear Christmas stories, okay? That's where we get most of our Christmas stories that we read uh, for Advent and all that stuff. But John 1 uh, doesn't necessarily have the classic Christmas story, but it is there. We see in verse 9, it says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus in Matthew 3 was introduced as a light as well. He was introduced as a star. And not your normal everyday star. This star got some people's attention. Israel, ancient Israel, um, back in uh, that time, they were looking for a Messiah. In fact, their whole entire religion, their whole entire lives were looking for what ended up being Jesus, the Messiah that would lead them out of captivity. They were looking, they looked in the scriptures, and the people who noticed the star were not the people that were looking for Jesus. It was a random group of people from the east called Magi. Not even really sure what they are or who they were, but we see that these Magi, they traveled and they talked to Herod. Herod is the king of Israel. In fact, he was not really the king. He was put as king. He was like a puppet king by the Roman government to control the Israelites, but he still had power, and he still was jealous, and these magi said, hey, the real king is coming, and so he's like, oh, we got to figure out where he is, and he ended up trying to kill Jesus, but what, what they do, what he does is he says, oh, hey, we hear that the, the true king is coming, teachers of the law, people, you know the most about this whole thing, and you know most about the Bible, it doesn't say anything in scriptures where he's going to come, and it says in verse 6 of chapter 3, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. So that first Christmas, light entered the world. The true light that gives light to everyone came into the world and people missed it. People who are looking for that light their whole lives missed it. And maybe you've missed the light, too. Maybe you've missed the light during this, this, this pandemic, maybe during this Christmas season. It's a busy season. 
There's a lot of distractions out there, and maybe you have missed the light entering the world. It's hard to recognize in this season uh, what the truth and goodness and beauty is, but, and if you're someone who has missed the light, you are not alone. When I talk to students, when I listen to students, I get this sense that um, it's really hard to connect with God because he doesn't seem real. We look at all the craziness in our world. We look at all the things that we can hold on to, and it just feels like God is distant, and it's an adult thing. That adults have it together, and they can figure out God because they're, I don't know, more mature. I don't know what it is. We're not the first people to have trouble connecting with God. Theologian Bruce Milne gets to the heart of how many of us view Christmas this year and and this season. He says, people regularly point to God's indifference to human tragedy and pain. If only God would appear and accept some responsibility or give some help, then perhaps they would recognize and follow him. In fact, as this gospel makes clear again and again, he is not indifferent. He does care. Indeed, he could not care more. And it is because of this that he came. But when he came, he was ignored. Would it be any different if he came again? What hope do we have to recapture the light? Well, we have the whole story. We know what the light did and does for us. We need to have the Bible. We have what Jesus did, and and we have that hope. We know what the light means and we know what darkness is. We can point out darkness. We can point it out in the sickness and the, and the death and the, the losing of jobs and the, um, all the darkness that comes around this season, the memories that each Christmas brings, the good and the bad. When we face darkness, we need hope. Tim Keller says, the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. If you know that you are in his love and that nothing can snatch you out of his hand and that he is taking you to God's house and God's future, then he can be a light for you in dark places when all other lights go out. His love for you now and this infallible hope for the future are indeed a light in the darkness by which you, we can find our way. To live for a light that leads to life, we cannot live in this world without the dark parts around us. But as we get in this passage, darkness cannot overcome the light. That's the hope that we have this morning. Our greatest hope as Christians cannot be for our world to go back to what it was like pre-COVID. We can't have our, our hope be in normalcy or what we call normalcy. The hustle and bustle and uh, the maskless wearing, the not having a fear of getting sick, being in crowds, going to concerts. That's not our greatest hope. Our hope is that we are taken to God's house and God's future, despite the circumstances around us. If we can recapture the light and we're able and willing to embark on the Christian life in this journey, that brings us to our last step is that we need to follow the light. Following the light means the Christian life. That is living God's truths in a meaningful way in, in our lives. And so that can mean a lot of things. Does it mean knowing more about God? Does it mean 
reading your Bible more? Does it mean memorizing a bunch of scripture? Does it mean you can fill in the blank of what does that mean to follow the light, to, to recenter ourselves on the light? And if you ask me, do, if I do all these things, am I a Christian? I'd say, yeah, absolutely, but absolutely not at the same time. That's not the end all there. Light and life are linked. If you know God, if you read your Bible, if you memorize scripture, if you avoid all the sins in the world, these are all mini lights that will flicker out if not connected to the ultimate light that is Christ. Throughout this series, we've been working through this book, uh, Emblems of the Infinite King. And we're going to watch or listen to a certain section here in just a minute. But it doesn't talk about light and life in the way that we've been talking about this morning. But it's still really powerful, and I still wanted us to go through it today. What we're going to hear um, here is, is what the Christian life looks like in the ultimate hope that we have, the ups and downs, the disappointments, but the ultimate hope in Christ. So take a, take a look. Above you is the crown of glorification. It awaits all climbers at the end of their climb. The king makes one for each of his followers. They reflect all the true, good, and beautiful things his citizens have done as his ambassadors. Yet even the most elegant and regal crown cannot compare to the king's crown. This is why when you get closer to the throne, you will see that his people are more excited about the king than what lies ahead for them. That is why there is a pile of crowns lying in front of the center throne. His people's greatest delight is to throw their crowns before their true king. Ambassadors can see their king for who he really is only one truly worthy of glory. Think of yourself. What will you want to do when you come face to face with the lion who is the lamb? When you meet the one who sings the song of your heart, the only one who can open the scroll for you and for the world. And with a rush of wind and a wave of water, the stairs are gone and you find yourself back on the far side of the sea. Your heart sinks because everything you've seen seems to be lost to the crystal waters in front of you. Do you want to hear the worthy one again? Do you want everything you've just seen? Do you want to see the lion and the lamb make everything right? We'll turn the key and open the lock. I love that video because it takes the Christian life and makes it an adventure. Because the Christian life, it, it can seem normal sometimes. But it's completely abnormal because it goes beyond just doing things for God, but following the light means seeing God as ultimate, which is what this picture gives. As God's ambassadors, as followers of the light, we are called to do some amazing things in our lives. For some of us, that could be traveling on the other side of the world and reaching unreached people groups. But for others, it could be faithfully reading scripture to your children. For some of us, it might be preaching to thousands and thousands of people in stadiums. Or it could be praying for someone that's far from God. 
we all have a crown of glorification waiting for us at the end of our climb. But, but that's not the goal. The goal is to enjoy God and to see his crown as the most beautiful, as him as the most beautiful. We do not just do things for God. We live to enjoy God. So how do we do that? How do we enjoy God more? What does it look like to truly follow the light? First, we need to see God's beauty, okay? And I could say simply, read your Bibles more. But I know that's a really unhelpful answer because a lot of us get lost in it. And it gets boring or maybe confusing. But there's tons and tons of re, uh, resources for you, as Jonathan talked in his weird accent. Story of God is a great option for many of us. Like he said, there's been seminary students and people who know nothing about the Bible, and they leave understanding that it's all one story and, that, and they can read it with a purpose. And it's easier to jump in now than ever. There's online, there's evening, you don't even have to meet in person I challenge you in this season, if you don't feel connected to God, if you do not see him as the ultimate in your life, maybe you need to jump in to story of God. If you've done story of God and maybe you haven't read your Bible for a while because, you know, one class doesn't make you a Bible expert and maybe you've kind of lapsed a little bit on your Bible reading and you haven't been seeing God as beautiful because you don't read your Bible and you don't see God, well, there's other resources available as well. On your Bible app, there's a plan called the Bible Recap. My wife and some of the ladies in our small group have been going through it. It's not just for ladies. But um, it's been really cool to hear my wife be excited about the king. She comes in, and she, there's a God shot in every single one. Um, you read a passage, and then you listen to her talk about that passage. It could be the most boring part of scripture, and she brings light and life to it. And my wife will come in, and she's like, did you know, uh, you know something about this? I'm like, I didn't know that. You know? And it's really cool that you're learning about that. And she's finding light and life through Scripture. The other thing that I do, I like to listen to the Bible Project podcasts. They open up the Bible in ways that I've, are fascinating. Just a way to, to recapture God's beauty. Parents, one of the greatest things that you can do for your kids and your students is to get excited about the Bible. Whatever stage you're in, get excited about the Bible. Find beauty and magic in God's story. Use these resources. Second thing, enter community. It's a really important thing. As we learn to love and follow the light, we need each other in the process. These, these steps, they're not rocket science, but sometimes they're really hard to do. There's not small group or, or Bible study is not a place to flex your theological muscles and show how much you know about the Bible. It's a place to walk through the messiness of life with somebody else, to pray for, be prayed for and to pray for other people, to take yourself out of the center of the story. We don't show up on game day without practicing throughout the week. Same thing in the Christian life. We need our teammates. We need our, uh, each other to walk through life with. Again, joining a group is easier than it ever has been before. 
If you want to meet in a home, you can do that. If you want to meet at the church and social distance, you can do that. If you want to uh, go on Zoom, there's groups that do that as well. If you want to do some sort of hybrid, you can do that. This is a perfect time to join community. Parents, if you have students that are sitting in here, like talk about that, them in community. Bring them in there. With the, uh, talk about the sermon. Don't let them go without, throughout the week without talking about it. There's questions in your sermon application guide. At least start there. And if your students come with you guys to small group, include them in part of it. Try it out. It doesn't have to be the whole time. But have them wrestle through it. Students, if you are not a part of a, a youth group somewhere or a group somewhere, I challenge you, jump into community, somewhere where they're excited about Jesus, about talking about Jesus. I'd love for it to be Five Oaks students, but if not, go somewhere where you're excited to go, where you're learning and growing to be more like Christ. And the last step is prayer or pray. Again, not rocket science. But this is, this is one of those areas in my life where I need the most work. This was the most challenging for me to, 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 to uh, implore you guys to do. I was talking over Thanksgiving uh, to my sister-in-law. We were sitting around a fire, and I hadn't heard her uh, story of, about how she, she started following Christ. And she was talking about it. She was very far from God, and she got to college, and, and uh, she had a lady who, who pursued her, prayed for her, mentored her, and really just uh, got her excited about Jesus. And she started praying. And she started praying, and God would lay on her heart some pretty crazy things, talking to some random people. And, and she saw the excitement and joy that prayer brought to her life. She was praying, and she was not just changing people's lives, but she was changing her campus and changing the world because she was doing what God was asking her to do, even the seemingly silly things. I get excited about theology. I went to school for it. I like to talk about it. But if it's not linked with prayer, it's so easy to compartmentalize our lives. We got our Christian life over here and our fun life over here. Prayer is what links theology. Prayer is where theology plays out in life. Without the Spirit working through us, without the Spirit and walking alongside the person who created light itself, God, we're going to start looking for light and darkness. We're going to start looking for life and things that can't deliver. Join God's story through the reading of God's word, through community, through prayer. And you're going to realize that being enfolded in his story, it's not going to be an imposition anymore. It's going to lead to freedom. It's going to lead to joy. You're going to realize his promises are true and real. I'm going to end with a quote by James K. Smith that gets to the heart of why it's so important to unfold ourselves into his story. He says, when you've realized that you don't even know yourself, that you're an enigma to yourself, and when you keep looking inward only to find an unplumbable depth of mystery and secrets and parts of yourself that are loathsome, then scripture isn't received as a list of commands. Instead, it breaks into your life as a light from the outside that shows you the infinite God who loves you at the bottom of the abyss. And there's no place that shows that more 
than what we do every single week in communion. The magic of Christmas is centered all around the light that came into our world. And he came into our world and lived a perfect life. But on the darkest night of history, Jesus became darkness for us so that we can have life and light. So every single week, we remind ourselves of that. And we do this as a reminder that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for being that light that came into our dark world and for giving us light and life. We're thankful for you. We pray during this Christmas season that you draw us closer to you than we've ever been before. Pray this in your name. Amen.